Welcome to the final episode in our special series of the Craft Industry Alliance podcast. I'm Abby Glassenberg, the co-founder of Craft Industry Alliance, an online community for craft business owners. And in this limited series of our podcast called Powering the Creative Economy with Spoonflower, we're focusing on artists and makers who have created innovative businesses using Spoonflower, the world's largest custom fabric, wallpaper, and home decor digital marketplace. In today's conversation, we are going behind the scenes at Spoonflower. We're talking with three people who play instrumental roles in making the company run, from branding and marketing to research and development to supervising the team of sewists who create made-to-order products from Spoonflower Fabrics. Spoonflower provides on-demand digital printing using an eco-friendly, sustainable, and scalable manufacturing process. They like to say, if you can dream it, we can print it. Let's hear how it's done behind the scenes. Let's start by hearing about Spinflower's approach to branding and marketing. Okay, so if you can just start by telling us your name and what it is you do at Spinflower. My name is Sarah Ward, um, and I am Senior Vice President of Brand Marketing at Spinflower. Um, brand marketing is essentially all of our you know, community-based conversations through social media, our blog, email, um, influencer marketing, things of that nature. Okay. And how did you come to work at Spoonflower? Was there, I know you've been there for many years at this point, but was there something about this particular company that drew you in? So the real reel on how I got to Spoonflower is um, almost six years ago, uh, my doula from when I had my daughter, uh, she works at Spoonflower. She still works at Spoonflower. She's in our customer service department. Um, six years ago, she said, Hey, there's this really great opportunity. I know marketing is your thing. Uh, and you should take a look because this company really has a lot of great things to offer. And I think it would be really, you know, in your lane and, and, you know, worth, worth your time to look at. Um, and so I looked at it and the types of communities that I, you know, so marketing and brand marketing has sort of been my, my wheelhouse for a long time. And the types of communities and customers that I have worked with and communicated with and supported in the past um, demographically look very, very different than the Spoonflower audience. So I worked previously for a men's um, apparel brand. I also worked for NASCAR. So demographically, vastly different. Um, And I saw the Spoonflower community as a place where I could... um, really challenge myself to, to one, learn about a new type of customer. Um, I was not a DIYer by nature then. Um, I would say I am more so now uh, and have a just an unbelievable amount of respect for those who can um, have a dream, have a passion, have a visualization and implement it, whether it be through art or, or making by hand or, or by machine for that matter. So, um, yeah, I think I just saw a, a, an amazingly just um, like vibrant community that just drew me in. Uh, and I just knew that I wanted to be a part of that. And how do you approach building community among your sellers? So among the people who create, you know, the artists who create surface designs, they upload them to the Spoonflower marketplace, they sell them um, on the marketplace, they get paid a small commission for each of those sales. Um, But I feel like Spoonflower does such a nice job on cultivating them, educating them, and just bringing them into the fold, making them feel like a part 
of what's happening. Yeah. So at Spoonflower, um, as you can imagine, it, it, it truly is our mantra. I mean, you know, makers are undeniably important to us. Artists are the flywheel right there at the very center of what we do. Um, our platform is is where they upload. It's where they, you know, make up to 15 percent commission on on the, the art that they put forth. And that is um, a really like I, I feel like we take that role um, like there's a lot of responsibility in that relationship that we have and a lot of, you know, we, we value honesty and transparency um, and we, you know, we value being able to, um, you know, find a, find a voice and help them find the platform to really, um, you know, explore, um, you know, their, their talents and their, and their passions. And so, um, you know, I think it's really important to not only um, provide a place for, you know, proven artists to, you know, um, you know, jump in and get going or, or to continue, um, but also to provide a safe place for um, folks who want to dabble or they're not quite sure, or they think they might be onto something, but they haven't quite figured it out yet. Um, you know, helping them find the, the right tools and the right um, uh, conversations to engage in, to be able to validate, you know, am I onto something here? Could I market this? Uh, is this sellable? And how do I do it? And you know, what I know is that, um, you know, we are certainly not the experts in, um, in, in, in surface design. I mean, we have a lot of great ideas, but we, we learn from our community every day and we're able to sort of see a more broad picture and be able to put those pieces together for people. Um, you know, and we watch conversations, whether it be through Instagram or Facebook or our Facebook fans group, um, where, you know, questions are being asked and, and artists are interacting with other artists and, um, you know, artists that have a lot of experience versus those who, who don't. Sometimes, you know, sometimes the answer comes in places where you least expect it. Um, and I think that's really amazing to watch. And I think that is really at the heart of um, like that sort of democratization of art and, and, you know, the fact that anyone can be an artist, anyone can upload anything they want. You could choose to keep it private or make it public for sale. Um, and then you could choose to, you know, get feedback on that work as well. Um, and I think for me, you know, that's really the basis of what the Spoonflower platform is. Yeah. I love that idea that artists are the flywheel because it's true and protecting and nurturing those relationships with the artist community is really what is at the heart here. Um, especially people who are brand new, um, for sure. I think that's so important. And I wonder too, since you are in charge of kind of brand marketing as a whole, it does go beyond that, right? So it also is about helping the average consumer who might not be an artist, but wants to buy a product, buy um, either a sewn product or some yardage to sew their own product or some wallpaper for their house, um, helping them to understand what is this? How could I use it? What is the potential here? So when you're approaching that from a brand marketing perspective, what kinds of things are you doing? Are you coming up with campaigns or what do you explain to people at home who might not know how that even works, um, what you are, are working on there? Because we are, you know, we do have a segment of our um, of our revenue that is that is home decor based, right? That's finished goods based. But as you mentioned, there's fabric and there's wallpaper. Um, wallpaper might be a little bit more straightforward. You know, wallpaper certainly continues to have this moment in retail. And um, you know, if you want wallpaper, it's my opinion that there is no better place to get wallpaper than Spoonflower because we literally have more than a million designs to choose from. Um, so, uh, so, so wallpaper and home decor side, we'll go, we'll go to fabric. I think fabric is um, there's a unique opportunity and a challenge with fabric because 
it is so hard for us to know what the end use is going to be. Um, and there's so many possibilities with fabric, right? I mean, everything from, um, you know, handmade gifts for loved ones, whether that be apparel or accessories or, you know, something as large scale as, as a quilt or, you know, and, and, and everything in between. Um, so it's really hard to know when, you know, whether it be, you know, petal or minky or, or sateen, when it goes out the door, you know, we, we see a fabric with a great design on it that goes out the door, but we don't necessarily, until, you know, perhaps we get tagged on social media, which is our favorite way to see our products come to life. Um, you know, it's hard to know what that fabric is going to be. And so, you know, we, we do, you know, a lot of, you know, trend research and just sort of like listening and watching around the marketplace to see, you know, what DIY projects are, are, are kind of up and coming or trending. Um, we also, um, you know, look for, uh, you know, uh, you know, ideas for things that could be implemented into DIY projects that may not be DIY today. But, you know, we do our best through our blog um, and using email uh, and social media as vehicles to draw back to um, just pro- providing a whole plethora of inspiration from, you know, non no sew projects or, or very easy sew projects to very complicated things like quilts, as I mentioned, but also um, thinking about projects from a, um, you know, you know, what, what's accessible to me or what's available to me? Like, do I have a swatch of fabric? Do I have a fat quarter of fabric? Do I have a yard or more of fabric? And what can I make, you know, from those pieces? Um, so I think we, you know, we, we certainly take, um, you know, a ton of inspiration from the maker community at large and the artist community, you know, more broadly. Um, and we find inspiration there every day and we try to, um, you know, you know, either showcase those makers or showcase those artists um, or, you know, come up with a new spin on, on whatever that um, that project may be and just constantly challenging ourselves to stay engaged and stay in the know and stay, um, you know, be grateful for the inspiration, I suppose, that we, that we see every day and to be able to sort of turn that back out, um, out into the community as well to provide inspiration in turn. Um, the last thing I would say about that is, is that, you know, we're we're pretty intentional um, in the way that we uh, showcase or highlight makers or artists, and we're you know we we try to be very diligent about you know providing proper credit and tying back to an artist's uh, page or their shop or their Instagram. Um, same with makers, uh, you know, makers alike. Um, I really think that like creating that full circle of visibility to a consumer who may or may not understand the value of. Um, you know, this very unique, um, uh, you know, design uh, that they have in their hand. I mean, some some customers come to us from, you know, third-party marketplaces. If you if you happen to be, um, you know, in Etsy or on Amazon, you may scroll and find a Spoonflower fabric. And it is an official Spoonflower fabric. You, you are buying from Spoonflower, but you miss that, that whole storyline, right? You're buying a commodity. And so you miss that piece. Um, so whether it be in a note card that goes out in the package or, um, we're actually working on redesigning our packaging right now so that um, when someone does open the box or open the package, it, it's very clear and very evident um, that there's a, an, uh, an artist out there who's being supported by their, the decision that they've made to purchase from Spoonflower. Right. You're bringing them back into that story. So that that's great. I love that. Um, okay. Is there anything else you know you really wanted to make sure we touched on? Just from my perspective, I would just share that... Um, I'm just incredibly grateful for the work that I get to do every day. Honestly, um, I hope that comes through in in the interactions that I have. But you know, I love our maker community. I love our artist community. Um, you know, I you know we advocate internally um, 
all the time to just to, you know, in, increase their power and make things better um, and just create more dialogue and more conversation. And, and I'm just super thankful and I'm thankful for this conversation as well. Thank you for giving us the platform to be able to share our story. Absolutely. I think that really comes through. So that's wonderful to hear. Well, thank you so much, Sarah. Thank you, Abby. Next up, we'll dive into what research and development looks like at Spoonflower. Okay, so can you first start by telling us your name and your title at Spoonflower? My name is Alyssa McNamara, and I am a project manager for our, our R&D department within the uh, RTP or Durham-based factory. Okay. And for people who might not know, because I know I didn't always understand, what does R&D stand for and what does that mean? So the R&D team stands for research and development. um, And what our primary focus is, is to consistently improve our product um, by looking at new machinery or new chemistry or new substrates um, so we can constantly be giving our customers the best product that we're able to with the technology that currently exists in the world. So that includes um, color output and it includes any kind of um, new print technology that has been released to the market. Um, And so we spend time researching what's being put out there, going to trade shows, Um, going to demo centers to try and understand the machinery. And then we choose to bring in what makes sense to us as a company. Okay. And then how did you get interested in this kind of work? Because it's kind of a combination between science and art, really, um, with a textile focus and a color focus. So what led you to this spot at Spoonflower? So I am actually one of those unique people that is actually um, putting into practice what I learned in undergrad. So my background, um, I went to NC State for undergrad and I got a double major in, um, I got a Bachelor of Art and Design with a focus in surface design and a Bachelor in Science with a focus in textile technology. So I kind of came into the world of Spoonflower with a fondness for both art and design, as well as machinery and how things work and how things are put together. Um, So personally, I've been a part of the Spoonflower family for almost nine years now. um, And I've really had the opportunity to to see the company ebb and flow and change um, and really evolve into this, you know, wonderful place that it is now, um, all while being able to use my textile background to improve processes within the company. So it's been, it's been really exciting for me to see. And I was visiting Spoonflower a couple of years back, actually, and I got to see the printers and they're massive. I mean, I think you think of a printer and it's like, okay, it's something that fits on your bookshelf and maybe, you know, uh, an industrial one would be twice the size or something. No, these are so huge. So could you just tell us a little bit, about the current machinery that's being used? Sure. So when Spoonflower first started, we had um, smaller printers for the majority of our fabric. And when we got our first high-speed printer about six years ago, we actually named it after a spaceship because it did look like a spaceship to us on our floor. It was this giant machinery. Um, We run machinery with three different ink types 
for three different uh, groups of substrates. We have our printers that run pigment ink, and that is how we produce our natural fabrics. So our cottons, our linens, our cotton linen blends. Um, and then we have our dye sublimation machinery that runs dye sublimation ink that is transferred onto our synthetic fabrics. Um, so we have um, some 100% polyesters, some polyspandex blends. And then our third chemistry that we run is a uh, is latex ink. And we run that through our um, HP latex printers. And that's how we print all of our paper substrates or our wall art substrates. So we have three different um, wallpaper products that run through that technology. Um, so we kind of have three different zones when you think about print type or printer type. And what about um, color fastness? Is that something that the R&D department thinks about? Definitely. We work with our print providers to test and vet new ink chemistries in order to constantly be improving, to be able to give our customers you know, the most superior product that we're able to produce. Um, but we are unique in that we, the majority of our fabric is printed using pigment ink technology. And that is, that chemistry is becoming more popular in the world of print because it allows for a faster processing time. Because there's no post-washing, you don't have to, um, send printed fabric through a steaming process. And because of that, we're able to consume less water during the print process. And we're also able to get that fabric to the shipping department sooner so you can have your fabric arrive at your door sooner. So we really love the pigment ink process because of those things. And that pigment ink chemistry is constantly improving as the years go on. And I know that, you know, one of the goals of an R&D department in most companies is to kind of create things that are going to help that company stay ahead of competitors and be kind of best in class. Um, and so I'm wondering how much you look at other print-on-demand services and say, okay, well, what can we do that's different or faster or, you know, significantly better in some way? So part of that goes back to product development. I would say the R&D department works really closely with the product development team. And one thing we want to be able to offer our customers is a wide variety of substrates to choose from when they're going onto our site. We want them to be able to find the fabric that they're looking for. So we do look at what other print providers offer in terms of substrates, but we also really look to our customers and we engage our customers in feedback to see what they what they feel like might be missing from our lineup. And so we can test those substrates. So part of the R&D um, role is to vet substrates, make sure that they work on our printers so we can be confident in the product that we're presenting our customers with. Um, so there's a lot of intricacy with that when you are um, loading fabric onto a printer. Um, there's lots of ways it can fail. So we have to work with our vendors as well to assure that we're getting good quality products so that we can then give good quality products to our customers. Can you maybe tell us the story of, I don't know, something new, whether it was a substrate or something else that, you know, you, you tried out and then realized it either just wasn't ready or wasn't the right fit for various reasons? Um, I'm trying to think of specific 
cases um, where we've had to work to develop something. Um, I'll give you one example of how something could fail yeah. on a pigment printer. So the way that our pigment print process works is you load a core of fabric. So yards of fabric are spooled onto a cardboard tube and you load that onto the back of the printer and then you thread it through a series of tensioning bars and you actually apply it to a belt that has a bit of tack to it. So we apply this, this glue solution that allows the fabric to just barely stick to the belt so it lays flat so you can have the print head run back and forth across it. So when you think about fabric construction and you think about um, a jersey knit, for example, you usually have the edges that roll up a little bit. Oh, yeah. And that that provides an issue in our print process. Right. So we have worked, we have a, a cotton spandex jersey that we run on these printers with a glue belt. And we've had to work with our vendors to apply a bit of a gumming on the edges to assure that the fabric lays flat as if it were paper, even though it's not paper, so that it doesn't hit the print heads. Because if the print head hits that fabric, not only would you have a QA fail, but you could also damage the print head, which means you would have to replace it. And print heads are very expensive. So we want to reduce the amount of um, collisions that you would see uh, when a fabric is not laying flat. So that's an example of something where We've tested a fabric and we have to have this constant communication with our vendor, the um, mill that's creating the fabric to assure that it can run smoothly on our printers uh, because we're not printing on, well, we do print on paper, but fabric does not run through a printer as seamlessly as paper does. And there's a lot of intricacies that you have to look out for when you're testing a new fabric or maybe a fabric from a new vendor um, that they might not be aware of. Can you tell us a little bit about kind of the schedule? Are these printers, I don't know if you know approximately how many you have and are they running 24 hours a day and kind of how long does it actually take to print a yard of fabric? So we have a variety of different printers that print at different speeds. Um, some of our printers print a yard of fabric in less than a minute and some of our printers take a little bit longer. We do run almost 24-7, so we have the factory staffed almost nonstop. That doesn't mean that all of our printers are running nonstop. Uh, we have the ability to flex up and flex down depending on um, how much we have in our backlog. But we have, so we have four printers that, that handle our wallpaper substrates. I think we have 10 printers that handle our um, synthetic substrates, and we have six printers that run pigment ink that handle our natural substrates. That's great. At any point in time, printers are running because we are staffed almost nonstop throughout the week. And is there anything I didn't ask about that people should know about or is especially interesting about your job that I don't know to ask? I think that something that is specifically unique about Spoonflower is that we have really, really strong relationships with our vendors. So we're able to collaborate in uh, maybe we're testing out a new piece of machinery and we're able to put that machinery through a stress test and be able to communicate with our vendors on what's not working for us or what can be approved. And we have this back and forth where we're able to really 
produce, you know, a, a stronger process as opposed to having silence on the other end. Um, another thing that we really love is hearing from our customers and hearing what they like and what they want to see at Spoonflower because we really want to be able to offer you everything that you want. So we love it when we hear feedback from our customers about what they're seeing or, or things that they're interested in um, because part of the beauty of R&D is we get to think about new things for Spoonflower and, you know, kind of ideate on what the future looks like. And maybe there's this amazing thing that we've never thought of that a customer, you know, decides that they would love to see on our site and we would love to be able to look into those things. That's great. Thank you so much, Alyssa. This has been perfect. Thank you. And finally, let's learn about the custom sewing Spoonflower offers made from the fabrics you can print. So um, can you start just by telling us your name and what you do at Spoonflower? Uh, my name is Anita Kodandaraman, and I am the sewing operations manager for um, Spoonflower. And um, um, I've been with Spoonflower um, uh, for uh, quite some time, and we started uh, uh, we have a home decor division that does um, all of our uh, small format and the grand format products. Like uh, we offer 14 different uh, kinds of uh, products that we sell here in Durham, North Carolina. Um, so my job is to uh, manage the uh, team of sewers that we have uh, who custom make our uh, products that our customers uh, pick and choose from our website based on the designs that they select. Right. So Spoonflower is more than just print-on-demand fabric and wallpaper, which lots of people enjoy, especially with fabric, right? You can order yardage, comes to your house, and you can make your own goods with it. But if you aren't so interested in sewing your own items, right, you can use Spoonflower to actually have, as you said, 14 different types of items sewn. So that is really a great opportunity for people who might want to, you know, use these unique fabrics to decorate their homes, to have something different from what everybody else has, um, but they don't want to have it, you know, custom made. This is almost like semi-custom in a way. Um, so tell us a little bit about what kind of products are possible? Yeah, um, we have products uh, in groupings of dining category, bedding, and uh, we also make, uh, you know, uh, living categories where we have our bed sheets, custom made bed sheets, duvet covers, and we offer uh, tea towels and cocktail napkins. And we also do throw blankets and curtains. So, um, you know, when when you go into our website, you can uh, click into our section to see uh, what all product uh, categories that we offer. So customers can, you know, get very uh, um, excited about printing their uh, recipes from their grandmas uh, into a, a, you know, a tea towel, and they don't want to sew it. We have an in-house team that sews these uh, beautiful custom-made uh, products and. Uh, um, we sew it and we ship it to them. That's so cool. And these are products that you can 
have made from designs in the marketplace. So if you aren't a designer yourself, but you see something there that you absolutely love, and there are so many designs, so there's a lot to choose from. Or as you said, you can you know scan, upload, and create your own design that's com- completely unique, which would be like an amazing gift for family members and that kind of thing. So that's super cool. And um, and so you said you oversee the sewing team. So tell us about this team and like, what does the setup look like? Like how many people are there? Um, just give us kind of a behind the scenes glimpse of what this looks like at Spoonflower. Yeah, um, we have all of our sewers uh, that are from, uh, you know, mostly here in Durham and in around North Carolina. And they are all creators and makers that have, um, uh, you know, been sewing for hobby and uh, they come in and uh, uh, it's, a, it's a team of about 30 people right now. And uh, we have two shifts uh, that they work through um, and we have all of our sewing machines, uh, different types of sewing machines that we use for different products, you know, that requires uh, specialized uh, uh way to uh, sew and uh, be a lot more efficient with our products and uh, um, yeah so all of them are artists in their own right and uh, it is a team of very uh, creative uh, makers uh, that come and have fun while they sew and uh, take pride in the work that they uh, put out and they they just enjoy uh, coming in and, uh, you know, sewing the, uh, you know, products and looking at the designs that customers select. And, uh, um, yeah. That's really great. And um, I'm wondering, um, are the patterns that you're using? So, like, the, I mean, these aren't super complicated things, but there are, they do require a pattern to create you know, a towel or um, a pillow and that sort of thing. Did you develop those patterns or how did those, the sort of pattern that you're training everybody on, how did that pattern get developed? Yeah, we have a very talented uh, so uh, sewist who's our technical supervisor. Um, she has been sewing all her life, Becky, Becky Munson, and she, um, um, she develops the training protocols and for our products, she um, looks at the construction and uh, does a trial sample and um, uh, understands the product construction and then uh, starts training our uh, team of supervisors who then later train our sewers that come in um, to work for us. Okay. That's good to know. Yeah. And one of the nice things too, is if you're ordering this product, you know that it is entirely made um, and sewn in the US, which I think is really a feature that a lot of consumers are looking for. So that's kind of a, a, you know, the people who sewed, you know, this product are right here domestic. Yeah, that's that's awesome. And um, how did you learn to sew? I'm just curious a little bit about your own background and skill set. So how did you learn to sew and, and what drew you to this job? I, I learned to sew just by watching my mom, uh, you know, sew in her hand sewing machine. And uh, I've always had an interest, um, uh, you know, in uh, watching how, uh, you know, a finished product is made. She used to make her own clothing. Um, and in my job currently, I don't sew, uh, but I do uh, 
for example, I'm wearing a top that I made. So, um, uh, so I do, uh, so for fun at home, uh, I have, a, um, a limited knowledge in sewing, but I have a, a team of very skilled, uh, and talented people, um, like, you know, uh, our sewers and our supervisors, um, that, uh, um, that know the ins and outs of, you know, how a product is constructed and what kind of products, uh, what is our quality standards that we, uh, uh, ship out to our customers. So, um, yeah, no, um, an interesting fact about, uh, our factory and our sewing machines are also that we name all our sewing machines based after women in history. So, um, that's always a, um, uh, you know, that's a fun fact. Um, yeah. So tell us what some of the sewing machines are named. That's really cool. I love that idea. Yeah. Um, we have machines named uh, Rosa Parks, Harriet Tubman, Wangari Matai, who's a Kenyan sustainability um, uh, uh, advocate. And we also have Ada Lovelace. We have um, uh, Venus and Serena because it's a twin twin needle machine so it has two all sewing machines have you know one needle and we have some that have two needles so we take venus and serena and uh uh uh, uh the trunk sisters uh i think that's really fun to have them uh them named that way that's like that's a great little inside insider detail thank you for sharing that with us um so is there anything else about kind of the sewing division at spoonflower that maybe is interesting or cool that I didn't ask about that would be good for people at home to better understand maybe? Um, one of the things I think people probably will be surprised that uh, about um, the products that we make also is on demand. So we don't make anything and keep it in house, you know, so the customers place an order and it gets printed and we have, um, you know, our printers running 24 seven. And, you know, once the item is printed, we use a um, digitally uh, digital cutting machine that cuts the product and then it comes to the sewing team. So you don't, you don't make these and keep it ahead of time, but you actually um, make it only when a customer places an order. Can you say something more about this? Is it a digital cutting machine? Is that what you said? Right. Yes. So we have a digital cutting machine. So what is that? It is a, it's a huge machine that lays our products, like the uh, products that you print. It comes, you know, you lay it on this machine, you know, we print our um, uh, group, we group our products and print them together and we lay it on the machine. And this machine has overhead cameras that reads uh, our barcode and it cuts it if it is a tea towel, for example, you know, the 16 by 24 is our um finished size of that product so it cuts it to the measurement including our seam allowance for the product and so it gives us a precise cut and it also um, tells us um, you know gives us a mark as to where we need to put our brand tags in and you know um, so then when a sewist receives that product they exactly know that each of this product is cut with precision and it then they take that product and um, so so 
That's great. That cuts out um, a lot of labor and also increases the, um, you know, exactness or perfection of the finished product. So that's really interesting to hear. Um, cool. Well, thank you so much. I think this has been fascinating, a great glimpse into a part of Spoonflower that maybe people weren't aware of. Thank you. Thank you so much. Today's episode was powered by Spoonflower and Craft Industry Alliance. Get started making your business dreams a reality with Spoonflower, where you'll find over 1 million designs curated from thousands of artists worldwide. If those creative juices are really flowing, try your hand at uploading your own design and see your vision become a reality. Once it does, connect with fellow business owners for advice and support at craftindustryalliance.org. The audio in today's episode was edited and mixed by Matthew Talesfor at Mixture Films. I'm Abby Glassenberg. If you enjoy this episode, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. And most importantly, tell your friends. Thank you so much. <laughs>